Hi, everybody. It's Kirk Henderson and Josh Bowe. We've uh, taken a short break following the end of the season, and now we're back with some of our off-season coverage. Uh, tonight, we're going to be uh, doing the first of three podcasts where we're doing, uh, you know, reviews of player seasons, more or less. You know, we've been writing about it on the website, and I'm not quite ready to let go of the 2019-20 season because it was really fun to talk about. And we don't know a ton about certain aspects of the 2021 season so we might as well you know keep this going for a little while instead of you know heading uh, uh straight into speculation season so josh how are you doing i'm doing okay how are you doing i think you should be commended for hopping onto a podcast while your chiefs are playing their first football game that's impressive yeah, yeah i mean you know the, the chiefs are in very in a very real way the 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 dallas mavericks but better of the nfl uh, because they just keep doing wild stuff. So, you know, I feel sort of spoiled in one regard. But, you know, I I still like talking Mavericks. I suppose we do write for a Mavs website. So, you know, I, just, I, I really want I did want to do this. I know. So I know. The, 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 the first guy we were going to talk about, just to head right into this, was Seth Curry. Uh, Seth Curry, you know, signed in the offseason to a four-year, I think, $32 million deal. And he had a another solid year. Uh, the the 30-year-old uh, Seth Curry, you know, came off the bench in a lot of uh, a, a lot of games this year. He actually started uh, 25 of, uh, you know, the 64 games that he played this year. He averaged uh, a 12.4 points, which was just a shade below what he averaged in 2016-17 with Dallas, which was his career high then. You know, he shot the ball unbelievably well. Uh, he shot f- uh, 45 percent from the three-point line which is just preposterous uh when i say that out loud um and you know just had one of these years where he leaves you wanting more more seth curry i think and in that regard that might be almost his his best possible usage because i think at a certain point with a guy that's that small uh because he's you know he's six three um, very slight, just like his brother. There's kind of diminishing returns at a certain point. So, Josh, I'll, I'll punt to you. What were your kind of thoughts on Seth's season? It was an interesting season because, if you remember, it didn't start off very smoothly. Um, <clears throat> he got he caught off to a weird start because, uh, if you remember, in the preseason, you know, Dallas had a really, really awful tornado that went through downtown Dallas. Um, it went through and touched up his house, I believe. And oh wow, he yeah he hurt. Uh, it was one of the games I covered in the beginning of the season. I was asking him about his minutes. I think I went to a preseason game or I can't remember which one, but I went to a game and he said he didn't play a lot in the preseason because he hurt his hand because he hurt his hand while like trying to like you know clean up. Like I think he was trying to like close his garage door or like do something oh, like, during the tornado. This okay. Yeah, and he cut his hand, and if you remember, he didn't play a lot in the preseason, and he didn't really look good in the preseason when he did play, and then when he started the season, he didn't look great, and I think that kind of threw him off, uh, because before he said that, I was like, man, what are they doing? Like, why are they like, why are they kind of jerking around the, mm-hmm. the best shooter on the team when they need as many shooters as possible next to Luka? So it was a very weird, um, <clears throat> a very weird start. He shot 36% from three in November. Uh, and it was kind of like, it's like, what's going on? Like this, this should work. And then uh, it did work. Like, I think he just kind of got into the rhythm a bit uh, after the weird preseason. And man, from there, it was just lights out. Uh, 
like, holy cow, like by what, February, he for the month of February, he averaged 30 minutes a game and shot 59.1% from three. Like he was, he was everything that they needed him to be for what he was. You know, he can't solve all of their, their problems from an offensive standpoint when, you know, you sign a guy to what a $32 million contract over four years. Uh, but he mm-hmm. did just about everything that they asked of him. Uh, and I think when he got put into the starting lineup that really turbocharged his game and turbocharged the Mavericks offense, you know, you talked about that 59% shooting in February from three. That was when he joined the starting lineup after Dwight Powell got hurt uh, in late January. Right. Uh, he was, he was just a tremendous, like he was perfect for Luca. Like Luca is just an incredible creator of three point shots and you pair him with one of the most accurate shooters in the league, which he was when he was first go around Dallas, which he was when he was with Portland uh, it was just kind of like it just made sense. It was uh, it was great, and he was still effective as a pick and roll ball handler. Uh, and you know, you kind of talked about how wanting more, and you probably want some more out of that. But for boy, for signing a guy to under ten million per year to get this kind of you know shooting and scoring and efficiency, like it's hard to find warts. It was it was just a tremendous season for him after he got off to the weird start. Yeah, and he was spectacular in the Dallas playoff wins yes uh, which was just electric to watch and I'm going to be interested to see how they how they use him moving forward because he's he's gonna you know he's getting older and small guys you know shooting touch doesn't necessarily go away but as a guy who's dealt with injuries his whole career it's going to be interesting to see how the Mavericks manage him and that's something I'm going to have to get used to I know heading into the playoffs I was pretty annoyed with how often he just didn't play and I think that's going to be something that that they have to kind of, that we all have to get used to moving forward. I don't think he is going to be a guy. It's going to take something special for them to to want to move Seth Curry uh, because he makes a lot of things work with their team. Um, other than that, I, I do think it's it's worth pointing out also that he is likely, at least in retrospect, he was their best offseason signing. Right. Yep. That's, you know, if we don't count Chris Porzingis, he was the most important offseason signing by a mile. Right. He was the, you know, it, of players acquired in the summer of 2019. He was by far the most impactful, like not even not even close. Uh, and it just kind of goes to show how much they needed him uh, when you consider the, the question marks of the shooting on everyone else. So to see him kind of pour in the season that he did was just great because it was like, the worry was like, well, what if he's like off? Like they couldn't afford for him to be off. And he wasn't, he was, he was fantastic. Um, you brought up the playoff games. I think that's interesting to note, like looking over the playoff series, he shot well from three in the playoffs well enough, you know, 36%. Um, what was really curious about it though, is in the two wins, he only shot a combined four three pointers. Uh, and if you noticed, in some of his games or early on in the season, he was just struggling to get a lot of threes. Like he played, you know, 20 minutes in the first game of the season and he got two, three point shots. You know, he, you look in the early, early box scores, he just didn't get a lot of shots. Uh, it didn't really start coming for him until uh, after the all-star break. Well, not after the all-star break, but after the pal injury and he was in the starting lineup, I think teams were really, we, we talked about this earlier today and we'll probably get into this when we talk about these players, but you talked about how Maxi and Dorian Finney-Smith uh, shot really well from three. And they, I think Kirk, you posted a stat about how Maxi led the league in wide open three point attempts and looking at how 
looking at Seth's attempts per game, like I wonder if it's, you know, it makes sense that teams were just way more focused on him leaving the other more unproven shooters alone. And I think he was really a focus focal point of game plans from the opposing team. Like when you look at this Mavericks roster and you're like, okay, Luke is going to want to try to find shooters. Like that's his thing. He's LeBronian in in that nature. Uh, So who do we, you know, who can we help? Who can we not help off of? And like, when you look at this roster, like, if I'm a coach, I'm like, yeah, of course I'm going to let Dorian Finney-Smith shoot a shooting above the big three, so Seth doesn't get a corner three, or Seth doesn't get a top of the key three. Like, uh, I think that was really a, a focus of teams was to try to prevent him from getting as many shots off from three as possible. And credit to Seth for still having the tremendous season that he did, but in the playoffs, like he was run off the line like crazy, and he made the Clippers pay for it because he still shot. Uh, over 55% from the field. He was really good in the mid-range. Uh, so I just thought that was curious. Like, I wonder if going forward as he gets older, you know, if they can get some more consistent shooters uh, on the roster or if the guys like Finney Smith and Kleba can command more attention as shooters as they improve, will that help Seth's game out uh, so he isn't, you know, so keyed in on uh, by opposing defenses? Well, one thing I wanted to share uh, that I got a kick out of related to Seth Curry's season is the day that he signed, my wife went to uh, the Mavs.com website and purchased a Seth Curry jersey off of their clearance section that had been <laughs> that had been sitting there for like two years. Like she paid eight dollars for a Seth Curry T-shirt. Which, if you know anybody's bought something off the NBA's website brand new, knows how expensive it is. So, like that, that just killed me. And and she's worn it all year. It's a like great looking shirt. Made me laugh. That's um, the, the next guy we were going to pivot to was uh, somehow or another fourteen year NBA veteran, five foot ten point guard slash shooting guard, according to BasketballReference.com, Jose Juan Barea, and. You know, I'll just kind of give you some baseline numbers. You know, he he played in 29 games, had 7.7 points. He shot, you know, 38% from three, 91% from the line. He played, you know, he, he was coming off that Achilles injury from last season, and he ended up playing more and more as the season went along, frankly, just because the Mavericks needed him. And he didn't have a bad season, didn't really have a good season. And he had kind of one of these seasons where I would say it was fairly indicative that they signed him for locker room and veteran related reasons and was forced in, he was really forced into more action than he should have been placed in. So what did, what did you think about JJ's season? Um, I think I was surprised by uh, the restraint that Carl had in playing him. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think we all agreed going into the season that, you know, Jalen Brunson needs to be the primary backup on the team by hooker crook, even if he's not ready. Like, you know, when you combine Brea's age with his Achilles injury and where the Mavericks were as a team and the goals that they had, you know, it was just like, it just made sense for Brea to be more of a coach on the bench type of player instead of an actual active rotation guy. And knowing the Mavericks history and Carlisle's history, I don't think any of us truly believe that, you know, he would, he would mothball Berea like that. And he did. And I think it's kind of commendable. And I, you know, I'm sure Berea wanted to play more because he's competitive as, as all get out, but it's what the team needed. Um, and Brunson, you know, showed some strides this year uh, and, until he got hurt. And it was, 
nice to see Berea just be used as like, hey, break glass in case of emergency. We're down 15 in the first half, and the team looks team looks like crap. Let's let's get him in there. And he was like really effective in that little role where he just like Berea, we need like 10 or 12 minutes for you to just pick us up. And he almost every time Carl went to that well, he did it. I mean hell the first like two months of the season he was shooting like something like you know 50 or 60 percent from three that was amazing Uh, yeah so like that was great uh the fact that he had to play more because brunson got hurt is a shame as it kind of showed you know he showed his age a little bit more as he was relied on a bit more but otherwise it's kind of like I'm cool with with this season because it's kind of exactly what the Mavericks needed from him in terms of where they are as a team and and where they need to go. Yeah, and and this is where I'm. I don't know. I came into the year pretty irritated that he was on on the roster. I think I it's safe to say I was very wrong about that. I'm glad he was on the roster. I think Luka Doncic needs a strong veteran presence and I think Doncic or I think Bray was in his ear a lot because Carlisle is a difficult man to play for and having a buffer of sorts is something that the Mavericks are going to need to figure out because these you know 82 game seasons are long I think everybody on this team you know in terms of the most important players and 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 coaches everybody works well together but it doesn't matter how well you work together over the course of a season, there's going to be friction. And, you know, Carl is just, he's a difficult man. He he is like, there's nothing else. And I think he would probably admit to that. And Doncic is a, is a, a genius. He's a basketball genius. So the fact that, that these, you know, that, that he, Bray was able to play this role as guy who can bring these two, you know, kind of serve as a translator of sorts. There were a few articles about that that I really appreciated. It's really important to have him on the on the uh, the roster, and so what Dallas does moving forward with this, because I think it's it's worth talking about that that Brea thinks Brea honestly thinks he's going to be able to play. Like he's made some offseason comments that he still wants to play basketball. There's some interest overseas, which I mean, for a man that has that many young that you know some young children, that's kind of an interesting thing. But you know, you only get to play basketball once, so I can't really fault him for it. You know, he's my age and I am old. Um, so it's, it's, but at the same time, it's just, it's just something I think worth, worth interesting, uh, thinking about. I had sort of hoped that he would transition into a coach role with the Mavericks and not just because of this aforementioned, you know, kind of Luca role that he plays, but because I think a guy that comes into the league undrafted and got the most, the absolute most out of his talent is a value from a coaching position. Um, I really hope he, he figures something out. So, so what do you think? Yeah, uh, I'm kind of right there with you. Um, I wouldn't begrudge him for wanting to keep playing for the reasons you said. And and then when you kind of get into the, like, should the Mavericks bring it back, it becomes even more difficult as the team, you know, the, the theme for going into the second season is going to be, you know, the honeymoon is sort of over in terms yes. of, like, the expectations are different now. They've made the playoffs. Luka is ahead of schedule. You know, the the fun time, you know, well, we're just happy to be here stuff. That stuff is slowly draining away as, as Luca just keeps getting better and raises the the floor of what this team can be. And so when you think about it that way and you think about how many contracts they already have committed for the next multiple years, 
man, we've been talking about this in Slack. Like, even if they want to make some changes, like there's just not a lot of open spots uh, on the on the roster right now. Um, so when you think about Berea holding down one of those roster spots as someone who doesn't really play that all off, that often and is more of an emergency use case player and is more of a, a coach on the floor type guy or coach on the bench, you know, coach in the practice floor type guy, you got to eventually, you know, that's a tough balancing act and saying like, you know, do we need this? Do we not need this? Like, what do we do? So that that's a tough situation, especially with a guy that's a fan favorite like Berea, because, you know, the cold, you know, emotionless take would be like, okay, well, let's let's move on. Let's use this roster spot on someone else. Let's free up some space to try to get someone else on the team that can play. But you know, that's just not how <laughs> it's just not how things work. There's there's emotions and and there's there's uh, relationships and and all that stuff. So. I don't know. It's that's a that's a really difficult thing. Um, but it's it sounds like if he comes back or if he plays, I don't. I think if he's going to play basketball and be on a roster and go through warmups and go through practices and do all the stuff that he has to do as a player, I don't think he's going to want to be the same like be in that same role, right? Like mm-hmm. I can't imagine him wanting to come back to Dallas as a player and then being okay with doing kind of the same thing he just did if he feels in his mind that he still has like a year or two or however much he feels like he actually has left to, to give, uh, you know, like, uh, so uh, that's going to be, you know, it's just going to come down to the Mavs and Berea trying to work out what they think is best for each other. And, and we'll see from there. I don't, I don't know what the right call is. It's tough. Yeah. I, I, I'm not, I'm going to be unhappy if they resign him largely because <laughs> we saw, and it's not because of him. It's because roster spots matter. And the Mavericks, you know, we were joking today in our Slack today about some of the dead cap situation the Mavericks have run into because they sign guys who aren't worthy of being on NBA rosters. Then they cut them and then they have to do something with that. Berea is obviously an NBA player. It's not what I mean. It's a matter of, you know, when you get into a playoff situation and you have to play like six and a half dudes because your roster is, is one, filled with guys who are injured and then second enough of the guys are simply not good at basketball that you can't play them you know that can't happen for Luca like they they have a limited window I don't want to be getting into this right now but it's just something that I don't think they should do with Berea but yeah they, know, I mean they had to sign Trey Burke isn't that kind of like yes that's if you have to, if you have to sign Trey Burke then that makes keeping Berea on the roster a diff, you know a difficult you know choice right so Let's pivot immediately to the next guy that I wanted to talk about. Somebody who I'm very interested to hear what you have to say is is Maxi Kleba. You know, Maxi is you know the the Mavericks 28 year old uh, power forward, kind of do everything, guard everyone, role player who might be their most valuable guy off the bench this season. And I am just I'm just delighted with his season. Uh, he shot for he shot bad enough the last eight games uh, of the regular season to drag uh, his his three point shooting percentage down to thirty seven percent, but he had a very good uh, season shooting, uh, largely on what you mentioned earlier the the wide open passes he's getting from Luca. He he defended the Mavs, you know, uh, all sorts of guys. Right, I remember one he, on the Pelicans are a great example where he goes from guarding Zion Williamson to Brandon Ingram and guards both of them well. He's just a versatile guy uh, who the Mavericks have, in my opinion, really maximized his his possible contributions. I know that there are people out there, and uh, 
I don't know how to say this correctly, who think that that he is is still capable of doing more. I that is a misreading of what he can do. Uh, he was undrafted for a reason. But that said, the Mavericks have really gotten a lot out of him, and I am I'm very I'm just just pleased watching him because he he's fun to watch play basketball because he does a lot of the things the Mavericks need. Yeah, I mean, man, you can make a case he is. He is one of the biggest player development success stories that the Mavericks have had in the last 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, When you consider he was an undrafted free agent, uh, didn't play, you know, played overseas. He wasn't necessarily a young guy. You know, he he came to the Mavericks at 26, which is, you know, pretty, obviously that's young in real life, but for entering the NBA at 26, that is fairly ripe in terms of your development. Um, and when you consider, you know, I was going to say like, maybe he's kind of like Brandon Wright success story and how the Mavericks got the most out of him than any other team did. Brandon Wright was still like a top 10 pick from North Carolina. Like, uh, there was like a lot of pedigree there for that. You know, there's a lot of juice for them to squeeze like Maxi for him to come into the league uh, as a 26 year old foreign player and be able to adjust and incre- like improve so steadily, like. 31% rookie year from three, 35% second year, 37% third year. Like that is that is the type of linear growth that you just do not see out of guys that have his background in terms yes. of how he enters the league. Like that just doesn't happen. Uh, if it did, then, you know, <laughs> these guys wouldn't be undrafted. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's a rare occurrence. And I think the Mavericks should get all the credit in the world for for not only finding him, but developing him, believing in him, giving him a role. Uh, I mean, he, his rookie year, he played 72 games. He started 36. Like, he he got chances right away. And for as much as we like to bemoan Rick Carlisle and how he handles young guys, uh, he, you know, this is just a success story, checking all the right boxes, like A+, plus, two thumbs up. It, it's just a great story. I'm really, I'm, I'm really happy for him. I, I also think it's worth talking about. I I mentioned something today on my Twitter feed in terms of I think it's important that no Maverick fan, we should get get attached to these guys. Being fans is supposed to be fun. But one thing that we have to understand is that all non-Luka Doncic players, and I mean this, I'm including Chris Porzingis in this, all all non-Luka Doncic players are part of the process. And if they're on the team when big things happen, that's great. But the goal is to win a championship. And a guy who is who who the Mavericks have gotten the absolute most out of, like Maxi, that success story, if it's capitalized on in 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 the way that the Dallas Mavericks decided to trade him down the road, that should be you know lauded because that means that other teams then came into the picture to see Maxi as valuable for as valuable as the Mavericks see him, and you know it, it's. It's not that the Mavericks can get a better guy because you know one thing we one of the worst parts about basketball conversation is that we talk about guys in a vacuum. It's all about the team and it's about how a team fits together. And the Mavericks right now are really lacking in some very very clear ways. And so if they have to give up guys to improve those ways, it's about figuring out the right you know, you know, mix of guys together that works. If you look at the Mavericks rosters from 2000 to 2011, there's very little continuity outside of Dirk. And that's really what's going to happen with Luca. And if, and, and, you know, Maxi, 
getting to watch him has been a joy. And if he happened to get moved to another team, I would probably appreciate watching him there. I do not think that any other team is going to be able to get as much out of Maxi Kleba as the Mavericks have, though. And that is like that's what's supposed to happen in ideal situations with role players, right? Right. Um, and that's like that's a good calling card for it's a good uh pitch for for players being like, hey, you wanna you wanna, you know, look at where Maxi was, look at where Dorian Finney Smith was, look at the multi-year deals they signed. I know they're very cost controlled, like they're not huge contracts, but deals. Can, yeah, they're deals, they're multi-year deals, and you'd be like, Luca will get, you know play with Luca, you will, you will get this, you will turn into this. Like that's a pretty good uh, pitch at the very least. Um, so, so yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, he's, he's definitely a guy, you know, when you talk about making improvements, he's probably the one role guy, like of all the role guys that are interchangeable in terms of like, they need to build the roster and where does it need to move forward? He's probably the one that has the most unique case for, for staying on for as much as they can keep him on. Just, just for how rare his type, the type of player he is, you know, being a six ten guy that can shoot threes and block shots. Like the, there's just not, there's just not a lot of teams that have that. Um, and the Mavericks have two. Uh, so in terms of like roster building and stuff, he makes a little bit more sense, but he's also going to be 29 by the time next season starts. So, you know, you just kind of have to start thinking about like Luca's going to be, you know, he's 21, going to be 22. Like the time you have to start thinking about timelines and how you maximize uh, windows and stuff like that. It's a tough call, but uh, I don't know. I don't know, Max, I, but it, that's nothing against Maxi. And he just, he had a really good season. Um, I don't know what else to say. Like uh, I just, he was one of the more pleasant surprises this season because it was kind of like, he kind of had to do like I think that's the story of this Mavericks team. It was a lot of role guys that did not have you know a great history or didn't have a lot a track record of being good shooters or, or or contributors on a winning team. And it was basically like this year was the put up or shut up time. Like, hey, can you guys do this? And it was really cool to see a lot of them being able to do it. Well, with that, I think we should pivot to the next guy on our list, who is, in in a lot of respects, the direct opposite from Maxi Kleba in terms of, of <laughs> what, how it seemed it ended up being. So we have Delon Wright, who was, uh, you know, hailed as as kind of the signing of the off season. He was signed. He was part of. Uh, uh, I think they got the Mavericks acquired him uh, as a result. You know, they offered him a uh, restricted like free. They. There was some I, I can't remember the details. They tra- they traded they traded it was a, they traded for him and then signed yeah. him, right? And so they ended up with you know he's on a he's on a he's served one year of a three year deal that was worth about twenty seven million dollars. Uh, it's a declining contract, but really not worth much. Uh, it declines like five hundred thousand dollars a year. He played in seventy three games. The Mavericks. Uh, his numbers aren't terrible but they're not really eye-popping either he was you know about seven points a game he had you know just under four rebounds just over three assists uh the Mavericks tried him in a lot of situations I think he believed he was coming to Dallas to start and that just didn't happen and he still had a pretty prominent role off the bench uh you know he averaged just under 22 minutes a game but as the year wore on it became clear that he just didn't and I don't know how to talk about him in a way that really 
is fair to him because he's a better basketball player than he played in 2019, 2020. And unless the Mavericks move him, there needs to be a summer wide intensive course in figuring out what in the hell is wrong with him because he was just a mess. <laughs> I don't, it was very, it was upsetting because you, you know, there's some guys who I just like, like grow to viscerally dislike for completely fan based reasons with the lawn. By the end, it was almost sad. And I, I don't like that. Like I, it was, it was upsetting because I know he's capable of better basketball than this. Yeah. What's really strange is if you weren't a fan of Dallas or if you weren't an observer, uh, it was like, like, look at his stat. Like you go to his basketball reference page and you look at his stats and it's like, it doesn't look bad. Like compared to his, um, his Toronto years, uh, like it almost looks like he had a career year. Like his scoring was about where it was in Toronto, but um, he shot 46% from the field, 37% from three. Like those are pretty good numbers and just kind of looked like he was doing what he was doing. Uh, Kirk, do you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I thought we had another <laughs> technical issue. So I'm, I'm glad I interrupted the podcasters for that. Okay. But um so like, it's so strange. Like you look at that and you're like, okay, well he couldn't have been that bad, but man, the, the ups and downs, the swings, he just looked so off. Uh, I was so high on him coming in uh, into this season. I really thought he had a chance to be a really big impact player because they needed him to be, because he was basically the only guard on the roster that could play legitimate defense. Uh, and he was one of the few guys that you could say you could give him the ball in the pick and roll or give him the ball in isolation and he could create something out of nothing. Mavericks didn't have a lot of guys that could do that past Luka. Uh, so it, it just seemed like it, it would work. Like you would, he, he'd be in the starting lineup. He would help Luka not have to guard prominent perimeter uh, creators. And then he would be like a release valve. You know, you'd think he'd be like what the Mavericks envisioned Dennis Smith Jr. would be on the offensive end. But, man, for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. He just looked so off uh, in so many situations. And his defense tanked. Like, that's the most disappointing thing, I think. The offense, like, you could probably predict uh, if we were talking in the offseason, like, hey, this this might not work because it's not going to be a clean fit. So that's not, like, shocking. But the way that his defense lapsed uh, was really disappointing. And I wonder if that's just tied into how disappointed with his own role that he was because – like, let's be clear. He came to Dallas to be a starter. Like, we're not – that's not, like, breaking news. You know, you can read the tea, all the tea leaves to, to figure that out. Hell, he said, what, a month or two into the season uh, to, to uh, the Athletic, he said, said, like, he wants to be a starter. Like, it was – like, it's obvious that that was not the goal for him to come to Dallas and play the same role that he played in Toronto. Like, it's not – I don't think he comes to Dallas for a three-year contract knowing he's going to be a bench player after, you know, the first week of the season. Um, oh, yeah. And so regardless of whether that's, you know, the, you know, regardless of whether his response to that is, is right, you know, people are going to say, well, you, you got to play harder and, and earn your spot back. Yes, I agree. But like, there's a certain point where like, it's just going to not, it's just not going to happen. You know, like when the, when the expectations are so far off from reality, there's almost nothing you could do. And Kirk, I want to bring up like a, can I get conspiracy theory mode for a second? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So I think I've mentioned this in our Slack, but second game of the season, 
DeLon plays 32 minutes against the Pelicans, scores 20 points, grabs seven rebounds, three assists, five steals, one of his best games of the season. Uh, I believe one of the few times, I think that's, is that the only time? Yeah, it's the only time he scored 20 points all season, and it was the second game of the season. Rick Carl, after the game, you know, in reference to the five steals and, and the win, said something like, that's the best point guard defense I've ever seen since Jason Kidd. Uh, I'm loosely quoting. I remember there, that. Yeah. I said, do some, that. said something like that. Um, and then the next game, he didn't start uh, against the Portland Trailblazers, against Damian Lillard, and he did not play in the fourth quarter as Lillard went off and the Blazers beat the Mavericks 121 119. Mm. And when you, it's the third game of the season, and you think about what DeLon has been brought in to, to do with this team. And if he if it's not to guard Damian Lillard, like if he's on the bench when Damian Lillard's killing you in the fourth quarter, it's like in his head he must have been like, "What is going on?" I literally like Rick literally just called me Jason Kidd on defense, and I'm riding the pine against Damian Lillard in the fourth quarter, and we're gonna lose. Like, what did you bring me here to do, Coach? Like, I can imagine that's in his head, you know. Right. And I I honestly believe because that I honestly believe after that happened, like it was over. Like, I just, I feel like that was the point where, like, the point of no return where he could maybe have some flashes, but I think it was pretty obvious from that moment going forward that the fit was just not going to be what the Mavericks wanted and it wasn't going to be what DeLon wanted. Um, and that's my conspiracy theory, and I'm sticking to it. I like that one. I really, <laughs> really do. Well, with that, I think we should pivot to a high point for the final point in this podcast. We have the the sophomore season of super sensation Luka Doncic, who I believe I don't all NBA teams haven't been released yet, but he's either going to be all first team or all second team, uh, depending on how the voting goes. Like if Dame Lillard makes it over him, I'm going to throw things at my TV because Dame Lillard, you know, the Mavericks were not more talent laden. And the, I don't care how many injuries the Blazers had. The, the Luca's better. The end. Full stop. I don't care. Um, Blame Zach Lowe. It's that's I I, I <laughs> Lowe's. I may I may have to send him a message and be like, hey friend, tell me, explain this to me because it you know I I, I feel like the narrative around that dude uh, is so friendly. Like people like covering him. Uh, there it's small man fighting you know against bigger guys or something. There it's whatever. But Luca had an outstanding season, 28.8 yes. points, 9.4 points or uh, rebounds, 8.8 assists. His shooting percentage rose uh, to 46.3 for the season. He somehow shot worse on three pointers, marginally better on free throws uh, and had an outstanding PER of 26, 27.6. I, you know, there's been so many superlatives tossed about Luca's season and this year was more I, I I hold on to this Kevin Pelton aspect of, of a podcast in the preseason where he said the only way I can see the Mavericks really making noise is if Luka Doncic has a crazy season. Well, folks, he had a unreal season. And and I don't even know what more to say about him at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's like pick pick one of like 30 things about his season that we could talk like four hours about. Uh, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Um, I think 
it's just crazy. Like when me and you, you know, you were obviously as high on him as possible in terms of I didn't expect the draft. this. Right. This is nuts. Like before the before his rookie season, we were like, okay, he's probably gonna win rookie of the year and he's gonna be really good. We probably average like, you know, somewhere between fifteen and eighteen points, you know, five or six rebounds and like four like that was being yeah. acceptable. Yeah. Now nah, he does twenty, twenty eight <laughs> and six, basically. <laughs> And then, you know, we're like, okay, he's great. You know, what's he going to do in the second season? You know, oh, he'll probably average like, you know, maybe 22, 23 points, you know, bump up his percentages a little bit. But, you know, with Chris Stops, he'll be feeding him. And no, he's going to, you know, almost average 30 <laughs> and almost average a triple-double. Like, it's every time we think we have a beat on him and when our expectations are sky high, he somehow blows past them, which is just absolutely wild. But for me, the stat of his season – uh, is simple two on two pointers. He shot 57% from the floor. Uh, and to me, that is the story of his sophomore season, the, how good he was inside the arc and near the rim in the restricted area uh, really was just something I was blown away by when you consider where he was uh, in his rookie season, he wasn't terrible there, but it was, it was definitely an area that he had to, to adjust and adapt. You know, when you're playing the NBA, you're playing against a lot more, lively athletic bodies uh even though he did see good defense in europe and he did see you know some nba quality defenders in europe it's just different on a night in night out basis facing you know a full roster of guys that can do it every night uh and you know he adjusted and the way that he was able to create space at the basket without being like a lebronian like dunker uh it was just it was just insane his touch around the rim was spectacular uh, and it opened up so much for his game you know his three-point shot was not good this year and so he kind of compensated by just getting to the rim at a LeBron-like rate finishing like LeBron and by getting to the rim and being able to score so easily you know he just turned defenses inside out by creating uh, open looks at three by collapsing defenses uh, in the paint uh, and I think that was just the key to the whole key to his success not all of it but I just think that's the big thing, my takeaway, just how just the transformation he made going from year one to year two in terms of being a finisher at the basket and and, and what he did when he got there. Yeah, I'm going to have fun with all that. <laughs> it's just – it's the way that we're going. This is just going to be a delight the next, the next several years. I think that, you know, you said something earlier about how – and I wrote about this. I wrote about how uh, the expectations that the Mavericks didn't have next year is going to eat into things. I think that covering him and watching where he grows is going to be very interesting. I didn't really know where he could improve heading into year two. And then he did that. So like coming into year three with a, you know, multi-month off season is what we're looking at now. It's going to be very interesting to see. It seems to be almost all, a lot of his issues are, are likely conditioning based. His free throws by quarter were kind of horrid. If you, if you really look at the data, um, and I, I I think that's like the simplest path for him is improving free throws. Three pointers I'm less worried about because by the playoffs he had figured out that he should stop taking so many. And yep. if he cut, you know, it's it's like cutting out like two a game. We're not talking about going, you know, from it, it said something to me that in terms of like sheer volume that he and KP were among the league worst for number of attempts per game and uh, per, compared to percentage. So it's just, it's one of those things that, that's out there. And he's, he's so good. It's nitpicking everything. I love the flashes of defense that he showed. 
he needs to improve on that. But I still believe that's almost 100% effort-based where if he can stop barking and just play a little more, it's going to go a long way. And and hopefully there's enough film stuff at this point by now that the Mavericks can can maybe just show that to him. There was at least one or two plays a game where he you know hung back to complain and the Mavs got scored on. And with how many games they lost by tiny margins, that sort of stuff needs to needs to cut it out. But you know, outside of these you know minor improvements, which he can just make, he can make them. It's some of them are his choices. I tell this to my you know, this is going to sound terrible because I don't I don't mean to compare my son to an NBA superstar, but I tell my my four year old all the time like make better choices. Make choice, like the things that you have control of, you need to, to be in charge of those things. And I think that Luca is very much going to be a guy where when we look at him when he's 25, it's going to be laugh out loud funny just how much he's changed and what that does to his percentages. Because the Mavericks nearly took the Los Angeles Clippers to seven games, had things bounced a little bit differently. I think the Clippers are the best team in the league. And so there's enough, you know, to, to be excited about going forward that we should really, you know, relish this aspect of, of kind of the rise to a contender. Yeah, totally. hundred percent agree. Uh, to think that in his first playoff series against a team that was basically the perfect team to slow him down. What he averages in six games, 31 points, almost 10 rebounds, almost nine assists, 47% from the field, uh, 34% from three. It's just, man, it's it's just absolutely crazy. Like, I, it, the sky is the limit, and I, I'm you hit the nail on the head in terms of the the ways that he can improve. That are they're not like pie in the sky scenarios. Like they are attainable. Like he shot thirty one percent from three. Like he can get better. Like that is there's some concerns about like is how good of a shooter is he actually because he just doesn't have a track record even in Europe of being like a really great shooter in terms of percentages, but he doesn't have to be great. He just needs to get creep up closer to 35. You know, if he's 34%, like that's massive um, considering what he does inside the rim and the difficulty of the shots that he takes uh, beyond the arc. Uh, And then, yeah, the body stuff, like that's just going to be time. You know, Dirk didn't focus on his body early on in his career. You know, it wasn't until, you know, he got, you know, a little bit older, you know, 23, 24, 25, when he started being, you know, eating better, doing all that kind of stuff. So that stuff's going to take time. You know, there's, it's such a weird, like, back and forth between, like, he's raising the expectations so far that we almost consider him to be like a 28-year-old steward of the NBA. But then we have to, like, whiplash and go back to be like, well, he's still 21. And it's like... It's not saying like he has a built-in excuse for every for everything. It's just like there's just so much time. Like right. he has all the time in the world to get better, and he's already an MVP candidate and arguably top five in the league. So ah, I don't know what else to say except like just be extremely giddy and like it's gotten to the point. Like what the playoffs showed me was that it doesn't matter that to a certain degree, the Mavericks roster moves going forward. It matters, but to a certain degree, it almost doesn't in the sense of like, I don't like Luca's never like, I don't think Luca's going to miss a playoff season again for the rest of his prime. Like he's that kind of like, I think he's already reached that level of carrying a roster to greener pastures type player. Uh, 
just the way he carried and handled himself against the Clippers. Like I totally believe the Mavericks could absolutely flood this coming off season and they could still win 50 games next season. Like that he's, that's the, the echelon of player that he's developed into. Uh, and I'm just excited to see where, where it goes. Sure. Yeah. I'm really excited. Well, this has been, this has been fun. It's funny when Josh and I planned these, we're like, man, how are we going to get, enough how are we gonna get a half hour of this and then we talk for 45 minutes to 50 yep. minutes and we just kind of keep going <laughs> well we'll be back probably early next week to discuss five more guys we don't know who yet um the funny part about this mavericks roster is we could go like 18 different dudes with how all was on the roster i think we're probably only going to discuss like you know 14 to 15 max and we'll explain why we leave anybody else out but uh you know, as always, thank you for uh, for listening to our podcast. If you've made it this far, I'd really appreciate it if you guys took the time to reply uh, to us. Let us know how we're doing online. Go to, you know, the various places where you can rate and review podcasts and leave us a review. That sort of stuff helps us find more, you know, uh, customers as people who are, like, looking for Mavericks podcasts. Uh, that sort of thing is really helpful. And, you know, after a year of doing this, uh, it's, it's probably time that we actually, you know, promote ourselves. We have a wonderful audience. <laughs> let us know. So... Again, this has been Josh Kirk, uh, Josh and Kirk on Mavs Moneyball After Dark. We thank you so much, and we will talk to you soon.